1: I'm Ben Hong. Today on our panel, we have Elizabeth Fine. Hello,
2: hello. Chris Fritz. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Shlubbidibamba. I did a fun sound today. (laughs) And Ari Clark.
3: Pop, pop.
1: (laughs) And our special guest for today is Maria Lamardo. Maria, would you like to introduce yourself?
4: Hello, everyone. Maria here. I'm a front-end engineer at Pendo.
1: So, for those who had the chance to join us at VueConf, Maria was my co-mc, and you probably saw us dancing around in uh-huh. pink dinosaur T-Rex Say, hey. outfits.
4: We also skated. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's you skated, technically. <laughs> I, I, I did not ride the skateboard, <laughs> but yeah. So, Maria, you gave an awesome talk at VueConf about sort of accessibility and focus tools. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with accessibility and sort of like the view community?
4: So I really love web accessibility. It's definitely a passion for me. So I'm a board certified assistant behavior analyst and I provided behavioral therapy for people with developmental disabilities for eight years before I moved into development. So when I was learning things about programming and I found out about web accessibility, I was like, yes, this is this is for me. So since then, I've just like wanted to just get better at all things web accessibility.
0: I feel like that's a pretty unique background for an accessibility specialist, like someone who actually has a lot of experience, like working with groups who actually use the tools that are are relevant to accessibility. Yeah. And I mean, or I mean, I guess like every, like accessibility is for, is for everyone. But like, you know, when you think of like screen readers and stuff like that, a lot of people when they think accessibility, they think screen readers and and other tools that are like interacting with the, the screen other than, like a a mouse and clicking on things, mm-hmm. and you know, seeing everything visually, which might not be true.
4: Yeah, agreed. I feel like people who might not even know about assistive technologies might look at accessibility as like, oh, that's so foreign. Like I'm, I'm, I don't understand how those user flows work, or it seems a little bit detached from. But like you say, like it's for everybody. It's for users who are tired or who have things in their hands and they can't really interact with the application the same way. So it's really for everyone. But yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember when I first moved into development, I was like, oh, what am I going to do with this background? It's so, it has nothing to do with this field. And so, hey, you never know, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. Like I I have an education background and that's ended up being extremely, extremely useful for development.
4: Yeah, for sure. And you're a great teacher.
0: <laughs> oh, th- th- thank you. That's That's very kind of you to say. <laughs> So you work at Pendo as a front-end developer and you also do some accessibility consulting, right?
4: Yes, I do. <laughs> I love web accessibility. <laughs> so as much as I can do, I will do it.
0: So when people bring you in, I know like I know you've done view projects because I've I've seen those projects, <laughs> some, some of them. <laughs> but do you also do like other stuff like how like what what is view specific? In the accessibility space, like are there resources that people should know about, tools, techniques, that kind of thing?
4: Yeah, so there's a lot of resources that aren't specific to Vue. I've really liked using NerdFocus during my presentation. So if you ever see me talk and I kind of pull something in like the console and it kind of tracks all of my tabbing orders, I really like that for presentations. Yes, there are scripts that you can write for it, but I think it's like a nice, clear visual indicator. I really encourage everyone to use the Lighthouse tool that's inside of Chrome to do accessibility audits. That's not going to catch all of your accessibility issues, but it's going to catch at least like 30, 40% of them and give you a lot of really good resources to get started with.
0: And, and how do people access that in Chrome? I, I know like for, for a while I had heard about that and then I like didn't know like, what do you actually get this? Like Lighthouse, Chrome, and I, I had to Google it and then it wasn't even the first hit. So, like, how do you get to those tools uh, right now, at least, you know, as of recording in that version of Chrome that, <laughs> that we're <is> using?
4: True. <laughs> yeah. So, as of today, <laughs> you open up your DevTools and you know how you have, like, Elements. There's, like, a couple of tabs. Yeah. yeah. You go into one that says Audits and that's mm-hmm. going to open up, like, the Lighthouse tool. And then in there, you can, t- like, you can choose which audits you want to run and one of them is for accessibility. And if you run that, it's going to audit your application and give you some automatic testings that it ran and then a little bit of an explanation of how you can do the rest of the manual tests that are required.
1: Yeah, it looks like you could even choose a device, like whether you want to test it on mobile or desktop, which is pretty great.
4: Yeah, I love, love, love this tool.
0: (laughs) And does it tell you just the problems or also how to fix them?
4: Yeah, so say that you have like a bad color contrast, it's going to point out the color contrast, like it's going to catch that. And then it's going to give you a couple of, it might give you like an article of, on why you want to fix it and what the standards are. And you could even like hover over it. It's going to highlight your element. If you click on it, it's going to lead you to like in the elements tab into your element. And then even on outside of the audit tool, they also have this like cool color picker behavior that like if you are inside of an element and selecting the color, it's going to bring out this little graph. And if you click on like expand on the contrast ratio, it's going to kind of bring a graph into like where you need to be to meet the contrast ratio. And I think this is better explained in a video format. But hey,
0: <laughs> it's not really what's possible. No, I, I think I think you you drew a good mental picture. <laughs> and like I know for for me and a lot of the projects that I've worked on, like people a lot of times developers and other people on the team like, aren't thinking about accessibility as more than just like an afterthought. It's like, oh yeah, and if there's like, there might be some accessibility problems, maybe we should check and then see if there's, th- there are any, any issues. You know, it's sort of like image optimization where like if you have really big images it, in a lot of teams, they'll just like check once in a while. Like, oh yeah, could any of these be optimized instead of it just being part of their workflow? I, do you know any ways of like automate automating accessibility checks and stuff like that to, to make sure that like, when you're building something that's inaccessible, you know right away, sort of like end, end-to-end tests that, that will like, test this for you or, or tell you about things that are wrong?
4: Not really, but okay. So I want to talk about a couple of things that you mentioned that are all really good. I agree that if you think about accessibility as an afterthought, it's so, so expensive to go back and fix your code and not only your code, but your designs might not be accessible either. So it's like kind of going back up the chain. But if you start developing with accessibility in mind, you start with like accessible designs and accessible libraries and then go on from there. And like the changes that you might catch any accessibility bugs aren't going to be like a crucial, like architecture change to your entire project. With that being said, there are a couple of tools that will catch like, kind of like a linting error. It's going to catch some accessibility errors. But again, it's kind of like the audit tool that is only going to catch a certain percentage and it's not really going to catch like the entire kind of user flow experience of accessibility issues that you might be able to find with manual testing.
0: Yeah, I've I've been on Teams where there's like a blue button with white text. And, you know, when, when scanning it with accessibility tools, you know, you can see that there's not enough contrast between the white and the blue. To, to be able to read it according to, you know, at least the, the, the U.S. guidelines on accessibility. And like you, you might talk to designers about possibly changing that. And then they'll say, but that's, that's the blue in the logo.
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that one hurts. <laughs>
0: like when you get stuck like that, where you, you don't know what to do, like and as a developer, like you might not have suggestions on other colors that you can mm-hmm. use or like other designs. Like how do you deal with that?
4: Oh yeah, so I actually have this conversation quite a bit about like color, especially when it's like tied so closely to the brand.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Like if possible, maybe try to change some of the colors that are used at least on the applications. Yes, like standardized, like from here on out, maybe you, we use like a an actionable color that is a little bit different than, than the branded color. But yeah, that's a huge consideration. And I think that designers really need to take a closer look as to like, yes, it might look really, really good to someone who's not colorblind, but if it's not going to work for a lot of the population, then, you know, like who who, who are we helping here, right? So I, I think that you should always try to discuss like changing when possible.
0: Another like accessibility concern that I didn't even think about until it actually affected me, I'm a little embarrassed to say. A lot of people, especially on, on phones, but even on, on their computers are using like screen tinters so that like it'll their screen like is sort of more in the, the red scale. So it'll take out a lot of the blues. Uh, and that makes it easier on your eyes and also like easier to fall asleep at night. And then also a lot of people will just make their phone grayscale. Like that's a feature in Android that's like increasingly popular.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And a, a lot of people, I, I know for me, I definitely didn't realize until I was actually using these features that things that have good enough contrast when people are seeing all of those colors like might not have good enough contrast when it's red shifted or when it's in black and white.
4: Yeah, that's a great point. I really like this tool called Color Oracle and it's actually an app that you could download on your computer and you could kind of overlay this like colorblind simulator on top of any application and like anything that's on your computer and kind of toggle between like different types of colorblindness. And it's really cool because you get to see exactly what you're talking about and then kind of test it on your application to see how that experience might be for other users. Another thing I see a lot is misusing labels. People might write labels on their applications, but they're not tied correctly by ID. So it looks like a label. And yes, it's uh, semantically, it is a label. But if it's not tied correctly, then it's just kind of like a floating label.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's if someone clicks on the label, like nothing happens, it doesn't focus any input. And yeah, so if... Yeah if like as a screen reader, you're looking for a label, you see like, okay, this is what I want. Like you identify that as the user and then like a click is simulated and then nothing happens, then your app is essentially broken for that user.
4: Yeah, for sure. Or even like if you're tabbing through and they are not paired correctly, like, yeah, you're getting into the (laughs) input box, but it's not telling you any other information other than the fact that it is an input box. So making sure that those labels are correctly paired with the input that you're trying to, yeah. you know, use it with. It's super, super important about that.
3: So I think most of us are familiar, at least with the pattern of, yeah, tying it by ID. So like you have them um, at the same level in the DOM and you say, you know, label four and then the ID of your form element. But what about just wrapping the label around it? Does that, does that have the same impact like to a screen reader or is that a no-no?
4: No, yeah, you can. So those two ways you could pair by ID or put like the label and then the input inside. So yeah. fewer
3: keystrokes is what
4: I'm hearing. But <laughs> <laughs> a developer, yes, for sure. Yeah. But,
0: but sometimes like that's not an option, like for wrapping sure. in the label for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have asked me like, but like how is it even possible to have this accessible? Like I have this, like what should be a reusable element. Does, do I have to give each form element an ID? Mm -hmm. That I need to pass it down in order for it to be accessible? Like, is there any way to make that automatic? And there is. (laughs) So I often like to use this utility called QID, CUID, which is for very quickly generating unique IDs that are also collision resistant. It's great for like generating client-side IDs for a lot of different things. And I'll use this to automatically generate IDs for individual instances of let's say like a base input component. So then that's assigned to the input and also used for the the for attribute on the label. And that way you can have a reusable component that automatically has some accessibility built in. And you can also like do different things, like let's say the label is a prop, you can validate that like a label is required. Yeah. And you can even do some special validations with like a a view validator to make sure that that text doesn't just contain like emoji or something like that. Because if you're just using an icon, like that's not probably going to be very accessible. Or if it is a slot, you can do the same thing. Like you can examine the text. And if there's just like a little icon or image, Mm -hmm. then you can emit like a custom warning message saying, hey, by the way, this label is not going to be accessible. Like it's not going to be readable. Yeah. So here are some different strategies that you could use to make it readable. And you can even require that certain attributes are defined, you know, because Vue gives you access to like dollar sign adders. You can do like on a created hook, some validations to make sure that like certain Adders exist and maybe it could be like if only if certain props are not defined or something like that. You know, there's a a lot of like really complex validations that you could do just for yourself. You don't have to rely on like just the validator and what a validator can do, which is just look at one value for that prop only. When a lot of times you want to look at combinations of props and, you know,
4: different attributes as well. Yeah, you know, interesting that you say that because I've also seen the use case where somebody's using some sort of a library and they kind of import like this input that is all styled nicely and it fits their design. But then they might put like a label on top of this like component mm-hmm. and then put an ID on the component that matches the label. But because you're not really putting the ID on the input itself, but like mm-hmm. it's wrapped around this div that then holds the input, then the pairing isn't correct. And you can actually check this. So also in Chrome, I really like Chrome tools. If you go into your DevTools and on the bottom panel where it says like styles, there's also an accessibility tab. So when you're doing any pairing and you want to confirm that it is actually matching correctly to the label, you can check out the accessibility tab and inspect the input element that you're targeting. And it should carry over that label from the specific ID that you're bringing over. So make sure that you're seeing that correctly as you're pairing up, especially if you're using like a library that to bring in all your inputs and things like that.
0: Yeah, and like one, one trick that is, is really, really useful, if you don't want attributes to just be passed to whatever the root element of some component is, is you can set inherit adders false on the component, which overrides Vue 2's default behavior of automatically like, adding any attributes that aren't defined as props to whatever the root element is, which in this case might be a div. And Correct. if you add like, a placeholder, for example, to a div, what does it do?
4: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: nothing. It does absolutely nothing. If you add an ID, just like you were saying, it does nothing also. Like, it's not going to solve the oh purpose that, that you have for it. And, so, and then you this can...
2: my mind, Chris. <laughs> V-bind
0: dollar sign adders on the actual input element, making it so that all attributes that aren't defined as props are just passed on to the input. Because like, if you have like a base input component, you want to be able to use it exactly as an input element, but with superpowers.
4: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't we all want superpowers? Can, we all want we superpowers. That, can we put an example of
2: that in the show notes?
0: For show, I've got an example in Vue Enterprise Border I've also talked about it in talks and I've added some examples to the Vue docs as well. So you can see that and the Vue component docs. I I don't remember which part of the the component docs it's in.
3: Wow, Chris.
0: I think it's Vue. (laughs) If you look at props, the, the props page and events, those both show you how to like transparently pass attributes and events to an element or to another component cuz like i i also whenever i'm using a third party library for for components like the wonderful futify i always like to wrap that in my own like base components and the reason is it not only allows me to like switch it out if i decide like oh i actually this this one component isn't really meeting my needs anymore and I want to like build something more custom, which often happens. But it also allows you to enforce how it's being used, uh, including making sure that it's being used accessibly. You know, and that's that's so useful. Like accessibility is really hard and being able to build those validations into individual components, you know, just in a created hook again with like console.warn and then in your like end-to-end tests, you can have something and even in your unit tests that like makes the test fail if there's a console.warn or console.error.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and then guess what? Like for the things that you know you want to do, like you can't do it wrong now as long as you use the right component.
4: Right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and that's, that's awesome. I love it. Just like I love keeping myself from doing things wrong and not having to think about
4: that <laughs> anymore.
0: That's so awesome to me.
4: Not having to think about it is the best part. <laughs> yeah.
0: But still like still not feel like I'm a bad person at the end of the day. And still also like not even be able to use my own app sometimes, you know, depending on like what kind of technologies I'm using, which like I I do. Like and I think it's becoming like a really common thing that we all use like assistive technology to interact with our devices. Like whether it's, you know, talking to our phones all the time, you know, having it. You know, we're, we're we're getting very used to like dictating messages. And I think the next step is like, it'll become more and more popular to just like fill out forms with your voice too and, and things like that. Like the only reason I think it's not very popular is because a lot of forms right now are, are kind of junk.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like I use my keyboard more than I use my mouse to navigate applications. And it's so frustrating when they're not. And, yeah. I, and I don't oh my even... God, yeah yeah and and it's so frustrating, and I wouldn't consider like myself to like have an impairment that I couldn't use a mouse, so it's 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 interesting that it's like even like as a user experience, it's like terrible. Another thing I really like to do, and again, I don't need a screen reader to look through applications, but I just find it a lot faster to go through applications with a screen reader like mm-hmm. it reads faster than I will read, so sometimes like if I have to read even when i'm reading the documentation i'll turn on my screen reader highlight what i want to read and just listen to it and and just kind of follow with my eyes but it's it's to me it's a better experience uh-huh. so i can't even imagine people who are 100% relying on this and can't because certain applications are just not accessible
0: yeah i use a, a chrome extension called vimium that makes it really easy to like select different things on a website really quickly and i'm amazed sometimes how like when people are trying to add really great ux sometimes like let's say adding like a a really fancy like credit card form where like you put it in and it's like really like responsive and shows like a little space in between each collection of four numbers and stuff like that but then i'm like using vimium and trying to select it and it's not even tab indexable
4: oh no no
0: and so then or or, or let's like sometimes I, I've discovered where like there is, it is tab indexable, but where it shows up on my screen is like way in the corner of the form instead of where that element actually is. So it's like through some kind of hack that obviously isn't working for the assistive technology that I'm using.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's so frustrating.
1: And yeah, that. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, fun fact for people who are on Mac OS at least, um, if you're doing the speech, like text-to-speech dictation, you can change different accents. You can have like, you know, I think I have Oliver, who's from the UK, read most of my emails <laughs> of back to me. Of
4: course you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs>
1: you have lots so, of accents. It's a lot of fun.
4: And you know what's really interesting? So if you're programming and say that one paragraph in, in your application is a different language... If you don't set it to a different language and you're using a screen reader, it's going to read it in that language, but with an accent. So yep. <laughs> it's really funny. Like if it's in French, but you have like an English speaking like voiceover, it's not going to read it in French. It's going to like butcher it in English with a French accent. It's kind of weird. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I have it read Chinese to me sometimes and then I forget to switch it back and then it's just like really floppy Chinese. Like <laughs> It's really bad. <laughs> they I'm like, oh no, hurry up, turn it off.
4: <laughs> so there was an accessibility conference and I saw this talk by CB Averitt and it was about accessibility and CSS. And it was such a good talk and it talked about like different CSS rules and how people just use them. You know, they're very, I don't know, widely used. And then how it kind of breaks accessibility things. And mm. it was such a, such a good talk. I will make sure to give you guys a link to include it in the, in the description.
0: Gosh, do you happen to remember one of those examples?
4: I, I do not. I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like that is so widely used. I see it in all the apps. How, I remember it was like how different people hide content and how, like kind of how you were saying, like they just kind of yeah. throw it to the side and like, yeah, it's not in view, but like really like, no, <laughs> I can't remember. It, it yeah, was like kind of the- like a couple of months ago, but I remember just being like, "People need to hear this." <laughs> mm-hmm. I read an article about how often
2: people will use CSS to hide focus rings because they think that they don't look good, or you know, they distract from the design of the page. When actually, they're really important for people who are navigating with the without a mouse or not clicking on things, or even people who are clicking on things to be able to see where they're focused.
4: Oh yeah, for sure. And like another thing that I feel that also gets skipped is like, yeah, you should have like focus indicators and also like selection. So like if you have something Mm -hmm. selected versus like you're focused on it or like if you have like a visited link, like they should all be styled differently Mm -hmm. than one another. That way users can tell the difference. (laughs)
0: And and I have kind of mixed feelings on this. I have, Heard from some people, like, it's okay to have, like, outline none, for example, as long as you do have, like, some other kind of focus indicator. And I've heard from some other people, it's like, well, that's that can be really jarring for a lot of users because they're looking for a particular pattern, like, depending on what kind of device they're using, that, like, will put a particular outline on there. And and then it's really, really easy to pick out that pattern like that in macOS, for example. Yeah, Like the just sort of like blue halo or something
4: yeah,
2: <laughs>
0: over the inputs. And then when it looks different, then you have to retrain yourself for each individual website.
4: Right. Yeah. It's like that cognitive load. Like you wouldn't do that to a mouse user, right? Like, Oh, I'm going to now have you click three times just because <laughs> it, it's kind of like the same thing. It's like, you're expecting this blue focus ring around your elements. And now yeah. say that everything just kind of blurs a little bit or, it's difficult, but then sometimes the blue focus ring looks weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> especially, especially when I'm doing something hacky, <laughs>
4: like. But I'm trying to <laughs>
0: no, but when I'm trying to do like something that does provide like great UX for a lot of people, like the fancy credit card thing, and I have an input like in there, but it's like smaller than the actual like what appears to be the input. And then I have, like, an outline, like, inside, which, which looks strange. And it's just so hard. What, what, what do you, else what is should I do?
4: What should I do? Inaccessibility. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, like, I like that. that okay. is really as, long
0: as, as long as I do have something, like, I've heard some people say, like, it is okay, and some people say it's not okay. How do you feel about that? If, as long as I have something?
4: I mean, I've definitely, I've definitely seen and used myself, like, different styles to signify like focus, but I do use the focus ring quite a bit. I might change the color to match the design. So it's not necessarily that like sky baby blue that you often see, but maybe make it like pink for pendo, you know? And it depends. Like and it still looks good, matches the design and it is unexpected behavior. But I've also used it where maybe as you're tabbing through like say that I have a lot of like cards. Maybe the cards like will grow a little bit bigger or like do something, but then I don't know. I feel like the expected focus ring around it is its is—it's—it's a better user experience. And like you said, it like doesn't add more cognitive load.
0: Yeah, it just makes my life hard sometimes.
4: <laughs> just so you guys know,
3: on macOS, it's not always the default blue color. If you have changed your accent color, it will match that. So for me, it's Ooh, pink, which is nice. happy. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. The more um, you know. And
0: I, I think a lot of people don't even realize that the outline is customizable because yeah. the only thing they know is outline none.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> when yeah. like there's an outline color property, outline offset, outline mm-hmm. style, outline width, you know, so there, there are a lot of ways to, to customize that if you want to. But I don't know, to, to what extent are there bad practices?
4: It's kind in terms of like, I-
0: to what extent you do customize it?
4: Yeah, it's kind of like a border. I would say that you just got to be careful with um, the different styles that you have around your page as well. So again, making sure that it doesn't match any other styles that you have going on. That it is a clear focus rather than a selection or something that is active on the page. I also want to say that Chrome has this extension called Focus Indicator and it's really cute. It allows you to change like the color and the thickness of your focus ring on like any page inside Chrome.
3: That's cool. It's sort of funny,
4: like people complain about... Oh, but
3: the default, you know, outline is just, uh... So... (laughs) <laughs> I've, been, uh, I've been trying to back eyes the lack of accessibility in my <laughs> current application. You know, once you know better, you should do better. So that's where I'm at. But so like, I actually started, you know, enabling the default outline for, you know, after clicking a button. And I was showing um, a new feature to the CTO. And, you know, I had just re-enabled outlines. And he's like, oh, I love that. That looks so cool. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's all me. That's not default. Fancy new feature. I spent right. hours on this. Yeah,
1: that's, that's a sprint's worth right there.
3: But yeah, I mean, like, in the right context, I actually think it, it adds to the design person. Mm-hmm. But hey, that's me.
0: I, I'm also adding backwards compatibility eyes to my personal dictionary.
2: <laughs> no, it's, okay. it, was it backwards compatibility guys or back compatibility guys you know does it matter backwards. either way <laughs> it's, it's going to be my,
3: ridiculous
2: i'm filling <laughs> out the today. urban dictionary
0: i'm filling out the urban dictionary entry for both right now so you don't have to worry about it both are acceptable decided <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> oh my gosh maria i I'm wondering from your perspective, what are some of the most accessibility faux pas of touch devices? Because a lot of times I think the conversation is really focused on keyboard accessibility
4: and things like that. So touch, I feel like it's a whole nother world. Yeah, so I often find it really difficult to like select things that are super, super close together. I see like tabs that are like, they might work great on like the desktop view and then you go on a mobile and they're so close together that you meant to hit home, but now you're like in resources and it's like, oh, what happened? That's totally not what I clicked. So that's like a huge consideration, like making sure that like your clickable areas have enough space around them that users with normal sized fingers or not can click on them (laughs) and not like, feel like they've made a mistake. And then, you know, a lot of the things that are kind of like on desktop view will work on like this other devices. So making sure that you still have the correct like landmark layout and things like that as they can still navigate through those with like different gestures. Same with headings and things like that. So
1: Uh, For me, tables are the worst when like (laughs) they don't scroll on mobile and you're like, there's more information over here and I can't get to it.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's true. Like making sure that you're using the correct like media queries to handle your content, like resizing your content. And I guess always design mobile first. So that's easier to achieve. But yeah, like scrolling horizontally is a big issue. I I would say that it's not as common as a lot of other accessibility issues. But for sure, like it's whenever I see a page that is like this, it always like bothers me because there's so much. Like as you're even trying to scroll, you might click on something and then it reroutes you to like another page and it's super frustrating.
0: I I feel like tables should scroll vertically by default. Like there should be like an implicit wrapper around it that allows you to scroll, or sorry, not vertically, horizontally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because like I never don't want that behavior. When do I want the rest of my table to just be totally inaccessible (laughs) from anyone who's like, Reading it visually.
3: Well, if you never considered yeah. that it would be on a screen size where you couldn't see the whole thing.
0: No, but like, why not just make that do it? Why not just do the thing for me automatically, browser? Why browser? <laughs> why not do it? So the now
3: thing? you're yelling at the browser? Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it seems always desirable behavior. But instead, like, I end up having to put like a wrapper around it with like overflow X. Scroll and stuff like that, or, or or auto, just so I can make it happen. But like, I always wanted to make it happen, and so what I end up doing is creating like a base table element that does nothing beyond the table except like wrap it in a div that has that style.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. I'll tell you, God, another
3: so one of my pet peeves on mobile devices is when they disable zooming.
4: Yeah.
1: Oh the my worst. gosh.
4: The worst. Never disable zooming. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because I, I don't know about you all, but I'm 34 years old. I'm still pretty young. I have perfect vision. But sometimes towards the end of the day, like right. I want to make things a little bit bigger on my phone. <laughs> it's too small right now. And I'm, I'm tired.
4: Yeah, no, for sure. And that's actually like one of the standards. So you want to make sure that you're able to at least get to 200 times the size, ideally 400 times the size. So yes, you should always allow your users to zoom in into your applications.
0: And something related to, to what you were just saying about not having enough space to, to click on things. I, I know for me, like I've, it's so frustrating when I am trying to tap on things and I can't click on it. And then if you can't zoom as well, because <laughs> like, normally I fix that <laughs> problem by zooming in, making all the things that I can like click on bigger so that i can actually click on that little like link instead of the other link right next to it
3: <laughs> but
4: or tiny checkboxes oh check
1: boxes. oh my god checkboxes
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah the label uh. should you should be able to click on the label and the checkbox should like toggle
0: <laughs> and sometimes too something that i've seen and uh, when i say seen been responsible for is thinking about like having things being pretty far apart when they're like, you know, like buttons far enough apart so that you can easily click on the individual buttons on mobile, but then not doing that in desktop,
2: mm-hmm. like
0: forgetting that a lot of people actually interact with like desktops, size screens by tapping on them. Yeah. Their fingers. They're not always using a mouse. Like, make that that's assumption. And, and sometimes like that is not just like a nice to have. For some people, that's, that's a must have. Where, especially like if you have Parkinson's or something, and just like using a a standard mouse is not doable, and you can get like one of those huge bulky mice that like you can't really carry around with you, like you're you're sort of losing the portability of your portable device, (laughs) and so then people get touchscreens that that are much easier. Mm -hmm. So it's it's much easier for them to like stabilize sometimes and especially if they can zoom in and make something really big.
4: Yeah. Let's just all make super accessible websites and then that's it.
0: But obviously like, it's not that easy. Like when, when do people usually end up bringing you into a project, Maria?
4: Oh, honestly, it's always after the fact. <laughs> I was going to say. The worst time. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, not always, but I would say most cases where it's like, oh, by the way, somebody told us this was a criteria. Like, let's just like, here, fix it. Like, just really quick. And it's like, well, like, you know, I don't think... um, like, yeah, accessibility can be very, very hard, especially when you don't consider it from the beginning. So when people come to me with like this big problems, it's, oh, you know, this might, this is not like a weekend project. This is this is a big re-architecting a lot of the things in your application. So it's kind of like a hard reality for a lot of people. So when you're having to uh, retrofit an app with accessibility,
3: where are some of the places you start? Or like, what are some things people can do to get, I guess, easy wins, you know, what are small things that would make a big impact that you often see people neglecting? I love that question. Uh,
4: yeah. Well, number one, immediately, i would just say like run the, the free like lighthouse audit, because that's going to catch like super, super, super obvious mistakes, like the color contrast, maybe like your landmark structure, your heading structure. So like those should be like easy wins. And then you start getting into like the manual testings when you start like kind of going through more of like the user flow of things. And those can get like a little bit harder because I feel like people are not used to like navigating that way or like they haven't really, even like their how they're testing isn't really considering this use cases. So then it's more like the the experience for the people who are navigating your applications with assistive technologies. And that kind of gets more into like, oh, okay, well, yes, you can access this, but it's not really representing the data the way that you need. So like the screen reader might not be able to pick up exactly what that information is, even though your keyboard is getting to it. So making sure that things are read to the screen reader appropriately. And then, you know, like, like things that we've mentioned, like making sure that labels are attached correctly, making sure that focus rings exist. Because sometimes I've seen like everything works, even the screen reader works, everything works, but then you don't even know where you are on the page. Like everything is absolutely turned off. So there's like a little bit of everything, honestly.
0: (laughs) And I I personally find the heavy use of base components. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, when I say base components, check out the view style guide. The official view style guide, if you search for view style guide, it should come up probably first. And one of the, the guidelines is to create base components for these like really commonly used components. And sometimes it'll just be wrapping an element like a base input or a base table. And it might seem really simple, but having these components makes it so that as long as you use them in place of the, the element, then it makes it a lot harder to do things inaccessibly, or it gives you a place to like enforce that accessibility mm-hmm. and to give yourself warnings. And when you're especially doing something gradually, I find, you know you can put those warnings in. And then as people are developing, like they see those and everything that they touch, they're automatically trying to make more accessible Mm -hmm. because no one likes to see warnings.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, I think that if you want to get like your team starting to think more about accessibility, definitely start putting those warnings. And even if it doesn't catch everything, at least it kind of gets them in their head. Like, hey, maybe I should start considering this. Read this article about like, Tab indexing and then kind of go from there and like, hopefully, like keep exploring further into the accessibility world.
0: <laughs> and in Vue Enterprise Boilerplate, I actually have a base link component that has a, a really good example of having these like special extra validations that happen as soon as the component is created, you know, that give you like a console.warn when you're using the component wrong in some way. It's so, so useful. And a lot of people think, well, like, gosh, if you're like doing all of these validations, isn't that going to like, really blow up your code base and, and make it really big? Fortunately, if you're using Webpack or like something like Vue CLI or Nuxt, which uses Webpack, then you can do something like if process.env.nodeenv equals production, then just return. That basically gets simplified by Webpack. It sees like, okay, process.env.nodeenv, you know, this node environment variable is production. So it simplifies that to production equals production. And then it sees, okay, well, production equals production will always be true. It simplifies that to true. And so it's if true return. And it sees, okay, well, if we have a function that's if true return, like nothing after that, like will ever run in production. And so it'll take out all of that code that actually is only for development and giving you really nice warnings. And so you can still have beautiful warnings and not have it affect the size of your app in production. It's wonderful. You get the best of both worlds. And again, there's an example of that in the base link component in Vue Enterprise Boilerplate.
4: Plate. See, Chris really? is an awesome teacher. <laughs> 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 so we touched on this a little
3: bit earlier, accessible design from the beginning. Now, so we talked a lot about, you know, contrast, things like that. But what about like literally the bigger picture? Like, are there certain layouts that are less accessible or layouts that are often
4: implemented in inaccessible ways, like tabs, things like that? Yeah, like so semantically, I would really recommend using, like looking at the documentation. And um, WebIM has some really good resources for this. Making sure that you're, yes, when you're like creating a menu or drop down things like that, make sure that you're following that semantically because those different layouts, even in your nav, are going to impact the users. But another thing that I want to point out is when screen readers and assistive technology and even your keyboard is going to navigate your site in the order of the DOM. So when you are using things like CSS Grid or something to change the layout of your your app compared to what it is in the DOM order, it's not going to match up to what assistive technology is following. So make sure that like as you're using like media queries or like as you're moving your content around your application, that it still follows the dumb order because if not, your users are going to be super, super lost in your page. So that's like one like little thing about layouts that I always check for, like as you change content, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Making sure that like focus is handled correctly when new content loads or as you like, you're, you're mentioning tabs. So like as you change new content on different tabs, Make sure that that's announced correctly and focused correctly.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, for this one at ViewCon, Maria does a fantastic job by giving an example of what it's like when pages load and stuff. So, sorry. (laughs) I'm
4: I'm much better at explaining when I have code (laughs) in front of me. (laughs) So, I actually recently ran
3: into a problem trying to focus dynamic forums, apparently, because of the fact that I'm using hash routing like Chrome now like gives me a warning that because it's a fragment, it won't let me do that. (laughs) So, so uh, yeah, I know. I need need to figure out a way around that. I think it's because I'm trying to just use the attribute uh, focus instead of programmatically focusing it, but because it's sort of a low priority feature, I haven't really (laughs) too too hard, but I was really surprised by that. Like they're, you know, just the, a character in your URL can prevent you from being able to do autofocusing.
4: So weird. Whoa. Yeah. Is it? Is it because you have it like in a separate component and it's trying to catch it? So it's a. It's a. Well, I don't. I
3: actually don't know. So like, it says that it's because it's a document fragment, which so we do like slash pound sign slash and then our routes because because it's served on the same server as our API. It yeah reasons we couldn't just do, like, the history mode. (laughs) So, yeah. So it thinks it's a document fragment even when it's not really.
4: Hmm. Yeah.
3: Really annoying, though.
4: (laughs) With you on this. (laughs) Okay,
3: yeah. And then I'll report back when we find an answer. (laughs) Yeah,
4: let's talk. (laughs) Sounds perfect.
1: So I have a question for you, Maria. We talked a lot about, like, Chrome tools and those sort of things. And so as web developers, like, browser compatibility is the thing we have to worry about. But so when it comes to accessibility, so if I make everything accessible, like in Chrome, does that mean like I'm good? Or how does that impact, you know, screen readers and these sort of things?
4: I wish I could tell you, yeah, you're good, (laughs) but no. (laughs) So different screen readers, well, and I'm going to focus on screen reader, but it's different types of assistive technology will pair up differently depending on which browsers you're using. Like they have, they work well with different features and things like that. So if you are using voiceover, for example, and I make my app work perfectly, perfectly in Chrome, I might not see some features that I've implemented work appropriately, or I might see it behaving differently in like Firefox or something. So there are some pairings that screen readers have, depending on which one you're using. Like I know like voiceover, if you have a Mac works best with Safari. And yeah, so like just be careful when you're developing, not to say that, oh, like it works in this one browser, I'm done. Make sure that you're using multiple screen readers if you if you have, along with multiple browsers. I
3: mean, some of us can just say it's done if it's in Chrome, but you know, <laughs> I realize the rest of you
1: can. not <laughs> Are you in <and> your Chrome? <laughs> dream the dream.
3: I know. Well, except and- for other things, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And Maria, do you ever recommend that people read like the, the WCAG resources like yes. on accessibility?
4: Yes, always. They have really, really good coding examples too. They're not specific to Vue, but you can totally grab ideas from there. And they, they talk a lot about like which attributes you need to use, when and where and why. And they're super, super, super nice. Yeah,
0: I actually find them like often surprisingly clear. Sometimes, sometimes not, but like it is actually a pretty nice
4: resource. Yeah, they, they talk a lot about like the standards, right? So, yeah. but there's a lot of things that they don't really touch on, like the user experience behind this. Like, yes, I understand that semantically this is how it should look, but what happens if I pair it up with this other, you know, case and they both have a little bit of different criteria, like how, how should they work together? So that's a lot of exploration there and, and not a lot of things that are covered by the docs themselves. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and it, for resources specific to Vue, one that I strongly recommend to people is under the GitHub Vue Ally organization, of which you are part. Awesome hyphen Ally hyphen Vue.
4: Yeah, the accessibility. That, that, that,
0: that, that repo has a ton of resources on like accessibility specific to Vue applications, mm-hmm. including like books, courses, talks, videos, the works. Oh yeah. Yeah, components and plugins and stuff like that. It's great.
4: Yeah. Rob Dodson has this series on YouTube called Allcasts, and they're really, really cool. He focuses on like specific like widgets and how they should be built, and they're really good. He talks a lot about like the user experience behind it. Of course, not too much like the combination of all these different widgets inside an application, but at least like the baselines of what each of them should look like and how you can build them.
1: And Maria, I believe you have a course on View School, right?
4: I do have a course <laughs> on View School on web accessibility. <laughs> you guys should check it out.
1: <laughs> that you should.
4: And if you are interested in looking and building the talk that I gave at ViewConf and in View Amsterdam, I did create a Vue Vixens workshop for it. So you can start from scratch and work through all of the accessibility issues and test it out yourself.
1: Well, as we start to wrap things up, does anyone have any final questions for Maria?
0: I have one. So if people want to hire you for accessibility consulting (laughs) and let me tell you folks, like having like, there's at least one client that I know we've both had that we've both shared (laughs) and they were very, very happy with working with you.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Like how do people get in touch with you? Like, are, are you taking new contracts right now?
4: Yeah, so feel free to reach out to me on either Twitter or LinkedIn. I always check my messages. Yep, I think that that would be the best place to reach me. I am pretty busy at the moment, but I'm always trying to fit more accessibility in my life. So,
0: and and also, let me tell you, folks, like this can this can actually be like a really really great investment. Like if you're a consultancy and you're you're looking to to branch out more, especially into government work, like a lot of government, I, I think all government projects, like require that you're following like the WCAG guidelines on accessibility. Section like, 508. Not being accessible is not an option. It's illegal.
4: <laughs> yeah. Any, any company or company that has any government grants given to them have to, by law, meet accessibility standards.
0: Yeah. So if you're starting a project like that or you just like to be open to accepting projects like that, like talking to someone like Maria... Would be a great option. Strongly recommended.
1: (laughs) Yeah, reach out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. With that, let's move on to this week's picks. Ari, would you like to go first?
3: Oh, sure. Why not? I just have two music picks this week. The first one is a song called The Light by the album Leave. It is post-rock, if you are into that, which you should be just saying. (laughs) And the other one is an oldie but goodie Anyone who is a Zenuel will probably be familiar with this one. Da Funk by Daft Punk. It's a classic. I love it. And those are my picks.
1: Awesome. Chris, what do you have for us this week? So
0: first of all, I'm more into post-post-funk, personally. Post-rock.
3: Um, Post-rock.
0: Jeez. Oh, yeah. That, that's So post-post-funk <laughs> is post-post-post-rock.
3: Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: that cool guys
0: (laughs) no my my two real picks are the first one is disco elysium which is a game i am enjoying right now it is for people familiar with like western rpg computer games it is that except it has no combat it's only like talking to people and stuff which is great because i actually don't really like combat very much in RPGs. I just want to like talk to people. I want to role play. I like the role playing part of the role playing game. And the other pick is in case we're all still here by the time that COVID-19, by the time this this podcast is released, if it ever sees the light of day, like probably you're not going to find surgical masks anywhere. Surgical masks are not only for like keeping yourself from like coughing everywhere. But it's actually really, really useful if you're not sick to just keep yourself from touching your mouth and your nose, which I don't know if you know this, this is a true fact. The average person picks their nose without even knowing it about 200 times a day.
2: <laughs> Wait, like, that's, why wasn't that's not true. Use, or just touches their nose.
0: <laughs> so, so I'm normal. <laughs> oh. <laughs> No, but the, the real fact that, that I've heard at least is that the average person does actually like touch their nose and mouth about 90 times a day without realizing it, you know? So like, that's, that's pretty huge. And my understanding is that COVID-19 like is spread from like droplets and can stay alive in a droplet, like away from any human body for like up to a week. So like,
3: I heard three days, but well, okay. Okay. <laughs>
0: Well, I heard, I heard a week from, like, one of the top researchers for coronaviruses. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's been working on it since the 70s, so...
3: Well, yeah. I heard that they did experiments on this particular strain, and it was able to survive for three weeks on harder surfaces. Mm. I said three days. I said three weeks. Three days. Well, I was
2: going to be like, that's yeah. actually like, well, quickly. Like, oh, my God. oh, my God. No one Day.
3: is safe. The day coronavirus
0: you know. will outlive us all.
3: <laughs> I mean, at this rate.
0: <laughs> so disclaimer, yeah, I mean, check your so, bibliographies. <laughs> so you're probably not going to be able to find surgical masks in the stores because the apocalypse is here. Burr and water, all gone. Something you can use, I know. I'm, I am I think I have to like make my own boudet now.
1: Or boudet? <laughs> the boudet. Day.
2: Day. 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 The day. Oh my day. God,
0: day. I couldn't remember what
1: the word is. Chris? Chris, I got one now. See, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs>
3: Fancy.
0: You can use scarves and bandanas instead of wow. surgical masks. Mm-hmm. And it's actually like kind of cool. You can be like more stylish. I Sorry, kind of don't I thought, like the feel of a surgical mask.
4: I thought you were going to say you could use scarves <laughs> instead of toilet paper. I I don't know. Think that.
0: <laughs> you know what? If you get desperate enough, if you get desperate enough.
4: I guess you can. Yes. Yeah. You can. <laughs> just do not just put say, it around your mouth. After.
2: Also, I'm, your I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to, I'm not going to crap
0: on that idea. so you can use scars and bandanas and like it not only is like a little bit more fashionable like you might want to use that even if you have surgical masks and you can like just wash them and like high temperatures in like a washing machine i think in dryers like will still like disinfect the thing i think make viruses go blah and then they die, yeah. maybe? I don't know. Is exactly that how that works? Do that is the noise I've been hearing in the I'm not washing. a doctor. <laughs> and how bandanas also make you feel like a bandit.
2: <laughs> that's awesome. Love it.
1: And that's okay. it for my picks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that note, Elizabeth, what picks do you have for us this week?
2: So much less exciting. My pick is a keyboard shortcut on VS Code that has. Ooh. I've just kind of started using, never used it before. So I have not yet configured linting on save yet in VS Code, which would probably be like the next step to, <gasps> you know, <laughs> fast, faster workflow. I just haven't done it. And so whenever I save, I get a whole list of linting errors at this line or that line. And I have to go to the file and like scroll down, find, then oh, scroll too far, scroll up, find the Latin that the linting error was on for every single one.
0: If you want to so. see an example of how to do it, you can look in the .vs Code folder of Vue Enterprise Boilerplate.
2: Thank you. This
3: message has been brought to you by his so. friends.
2: <laughs> Anyways, what I've been doing now is on a Mac, it's Control-G, and then it pops up a little input box, and you type in a line number and press Enter, and it takes you directly to whatever line number you're concerned about. I think on Windows, it's probably also control Control G. So um, it's yeah, always yeah, so confusing yeah, between the two. You might have to <laughs> you might have to play around with it, but I just love that. I've been using it so much. And next up, I will check out Vue Enterprise Boilerplate VS Code configuration. <laughs> 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 Nailed but, it. <laughs> just,
1: <laughs> and if you, have any, that. <laughs> yeah, if you if
2: have any questions, yeah. If you have any questions,
1: yes, you can message Chris at at Loomy Loomy.
2: <laughs>
0: Thank you. So, if you have any tips for like could the you know handling COVID nineteen and what to use instead of toilet paper, let me know at Gloomy loomy Really interested in hearing all of your thoughts. You don't even need any context in there. Just like oh, yeah. drop in suggestions for what to use instead of toilet in. paper. <laughs>
3: Actually, yes, please. That does sound really entertaining for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll make sure I copy Ari on that.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, no pictures though. <laughs> yes, please. Oh. No. no please.
1: Oh. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna, yeah. Well, that is a great tip, Elizabeth. Any other picks? That's it. All right. And Maria, what picks do you have for us this week?
4: Okay, so this is a little random, but there's a lot of construction around my neighborhood. And I was walking my dog yesterday and I just like, you know, I'm going to let him lead. And he led me to a secret new dog park inside my neighborhood. So it has already changed my life, like for like the last two days, (laughs) especially since. Oh, and I have a doggy doorbell, which is just going on. (laughs) Incredible. So my dog is very, very happy as we work from home this week. So that's a super plus for me because I have a husky and he's super high energy. Oh, I want to meet him. Ooh, just Someday. don't wear black because. He- <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Shed
2: white all over you. <laughs> that's a great idea, though. I'm going to do that with my dog and just let him lead the way, see where we go.
4: <laughs> I do that often, but this was definitely the best thing he's ever found. <laughs> that's awesome.
1: All right. I guess for my picks this week, first of which is definitely check out Maria's ViewConf US talk. It should be published on Viewmastery, Mastery. I think hopefully by the time this episode's published, but if not, watch View Mastery for that. It's a great talk. Definitely check it out. And so for my fun one, I'm like super late to this, but I started watching Survivor and specifically season 33, which is Millennials versus Gen X. So speaking of like toilet paper and all that fun stuff, it was like... Yeah, oh. there's
3: 33 <laughs> seasons now.
1: Oh, I think it's on 40 hours. Huh. Yeah, it's crazy. But um, it, it was a lot of fun just to watch like the generational differences of like ideas and a lot of heartwarming moments. But if you like that kind of stuff. That was a fun season to watch. So that is my fun pick for the week. And with that, I think that's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And until next time, enjoy the view.
2: This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com view.